Thank you for listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please support the show by subscribing to and leaving a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also support the show by going to our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, where there's always exciting articles by the BNG writing staff. While you're there, don't forget to click on the fanatics.com banner for a great sports fan shopping experience. Are you done yet? We gotta start the show. Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, episode number 197, presented by the Black and Gold Production Sports Media Company. It is October the 4th, 2020. The Black and Gold Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Visit betonline.ag and use code CLNS50. I am your host, Matt Barry, and I'm joined each week by Heather Ingerson. Hello, Heather. Hello, Matt. And Mark Allred. Hello, Mark. Matt, what's up? And uh, congratulations on uh, kicking me to the curb and being the new the new lead host of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. So. Oh, really, really appreciate it. I really, really love being here. Exciting episode for my first one as a host. Uh, as coming to you this week, we have a special guest. It's from the draftanalyst.com, NHL draft guru, Steve Cornianos, will join us a little bit later to talk Bruins and who they may be targeting in this upcoming draft. But first, Mark has a... A word for us today. I do, and we're going to talk about show sponsor BetOnline.ag. The NHL might be over during the second uh, off season of 2020, which is kind of weird to say. Uh, but there's Major League Baseball, the NBA, there's golf, UFC, and so many other sports are going on. But football's back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads to, and totals to teams, players, and coaching props, BetOnline.ag gives you more options to wager than any place online and have been a staple in the gambling industry for over 20 years. You, can't, you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures today. Head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses. And please don't forget to use code CLNS50. That's CLNS50. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. And uh, we have a jam-packed agenda, so we'll get right at it. 
And I know, Heather, you like Tory Krug, so we'll start with him. Uh, reports are out that the Bruins have offered six years and about $6.5 million per year. I actually thought that was a better deal than I thought they'd bring to the table. Do you feel that's a fair deal? I do feel that it is a fair deal, even with Tory. Again, I don't really, older people, I don't really want them to have longer than five years. I don't like it. <clears throat> I think it's very fair. I do think it still undersells a little bit. Um, and that's just to go back to what we've talked about before, about how he took all the smaller short-term deals so people could get their money. So I'm a little surprised maybe they couldn't have made it a solid seven. You know what I mean? Probably would have been a little more appealing because that is walking at a back from the eight million. He probably will get signed somewhere else. Um, I think it was certainly a fair deal. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, there has been no movement on the Krug front. So I'm not wondering if he's not revisiting that and they're not, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I definitely think that it was a fair deal. Uh, but I do think when we keep talking about this, given his circumstance, he's he has to make money. And as much as he loves being here, that is underselling him a little bit. You know, I just surprised with that part. But yeah, definitely fair. I don't think that the Bruins short sold them more than they really probably can you know what i mean because they don't have money um for me on this on this topic it was um it, it was interesting because it just seems like don sweeney and the bruins are are trying to create that culture of um let's let's do something cap friendly and be a part of something moving forward and he did it with um with pasternak and he did it with uh you know um other members of this team. I can't think of anybody right now. But uh, it's it just seems like that, that that's what they're, they're trying to do. Um, not sure what's going to happen when they when each side gets pushed into a corner. Um, it, it, it does look like Tory's going to walk to at least field some of these uh, offers on, on the open market. But in, in, in this type of Bruins management moving forward and, and, and having these, these short money longer kind of deals and, and the flexibility to have cap space right around the trade deadline is things that probably we're going to see more and more often. And, but unfortunately, I don't want to see players like that walking either. So for me, I'm, I'm totally on the fence with if he's here or not. But, um, you know, it, it sucks that he's probably not going to be involved uh, shortly. So you know, I, think it's a, I think it's a different... Um, I think it's a little bit different situation with Krug because he's 30 and this is his big deal. Like this is it for him. And this, if you don't, if you swing and miss on this one, you probably, you know, miss out on some money. Pasternak, you know, he's 21 when he makes that deal, whatever it was. Marshan had a deal that was friendly. He had bridge deals with Carlo and McAvoy, but they were young. So this sort of is a different situation for Krug, I think. So I don't blame him for going and trying to get as much money as he can. There was talk maybe that they would trade his rights to sign. I'm not sure if that will come to fruition or not. And like Heather said, maybe the market with a, with a flat cap and, the, and maybe some indecision of when the season will start and if there will be fans and revenue, maybe teams won't offer him quite as much and maybe they revisit it. Who, who knows? But I thought it was a pretty good deal considering his age, you know, his lack of size, the fact that he really isn't, in my opinion, a top pair defenseman. He's more of a power play specialist and a really good one. Um, and maybe more of a second pair guy. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that, 
that they offered that much term and that much money to him, which, you know, it, it roughly was $38, $40 million invested in him. I thought that that was more than they would have. So they must like him. It's just that I think that right now they're just trying to avoid overspending and trying to get out of that deal later. But free uh, agency opens October 9th. So this is sort of a big deal for the Bruins. If they want to fill some holes, namely left shot defense, especially if Krug leaves. And also that second line winger position. We'll start with Mark. Who, who do you think, who would you like in a best case scenario to see in Bruins black and gold? I definitely want to see a player that can come into this organization and address the five on five issues on point production that we're having right now. Um, kind of uh, create a little more of the secondary scoring, not putting so much pressure on the top line um, of, of Marshan and Bergeron Pasternak. So, uh, I, you know, I really don't know. I, I kind of want that that prototypical power forward that um, can be a, a nuisance, but also you know, you, like a Brad Marshan type of, uh, but a bigger forward and so on. I mean, you could you could field offers for like Kyle Palmieri. I think he fit really well in this organization and and next to um, Krejci, uh, the revolving door of that of that guy. Um, but I don't know. I really haven't done much homework on who's available and so on. But you know, do you would you take a chance on Taylor Hall? And switching the Brusque on his off wing, which is not a great idea, but it's a possibility. Or even put DeBrusk down if he's resigned, obviously, on the third line left wing, and and go from there. But um, it definitely has to be addressed, uh, especially if you're in, in a win now motto, which the Boston Bruins seem like they are. Uh, they're trying to get something done for the for the core players that were around in 011. So um, it's it, that's a big concern for me, and it needs to be. It needs to be uh, either a small patch or a, or a long-term uh, Band-Aid, but something's got to be done. What about you, Heather? I don't know. For me, it's always hard because, like, right now I almost feel like with the cap situation, I'm more interested in as painful as it might be in, um, to explore some of the trading options. That way we can kind of control the money flow by getting inheriting contracts that are already in as opposed to setting up our whole new thing. Uh, I mean, you can see that even right now with Tory Crew, right? He loves this place. They love him, obviously. They are trying to find a sweet spot. I think both of them still want to, if they can make it work before the ninth. If not, I guess on Tuesday we'll see probably some, you know, rights being moved or something as part of packages. I don't know. That never came to fruition. So for me, I'd almost rather target those kind of things. Um, I will always say I think Kyle Palmieri would be excellent on this team. I thought that we were going to maybe go um, – Last year, at like trade deadline, for me, it was Paul Mary or Kreider, I think really would have made a huge difference. But even then, we didn't really have the money to move or whatever. Um, I would be happy if we got Taylor Hall, not just because it would vindicate the fact I said take uh, Hall instead of Sagan, but also, and I know we'll talk about him a little later, as much as I love Jack Eichel, he's a lot of money for a long, long time, where Taylor Hall... He's kind of at a part of his career now, right, that he needs to make money, but he also is looking to win and find a real home and not have this perpetual pit he's been in. Nothing against, like, Arizona. He tried to find a home. Whatever. That's just – I also oh, would really like to maybe get – we have to replace defense a little bit, especially with Chara aging and whatever else. 
Uh, but I also don't want to overspend. Like I think I was saying last week, like, yeah, sure. Wouldn't I love Alex Petrangelo, but do I need that much deep? You know what I mean? Defenseman, he's older, you know, would I want rather have someone younger, like a Brendan Dillon, that's a little cheaper. So it is hard, but I really do feel like I'd rather maybe keep exploring this trade route option than um, so much free agency. Also free agency is kind of, it's not the best free agent class we've had. You know, some years there's so many, and this year there's kind of here and then everybody else, which could actually work to their benefit. I don't know, Matt. What are you thinking? Is there anybody in particular you want to target? Well, you know, I like the Pietrangelo uh, situation. I mean, he's a he's a 30-year-old. He's sort of in the same situation as Krug. You know, he's one. He's uh, more of a two-way defenseman, more of the prototypical guy that you could put with McAvoy. Again, how much money it would cost, and I'm sort of with you on this, that you can manipulate the money a little bit better by trading so that you can save a little here and take a little more here and maybe even have the team take on some money, as they have talked about with Ekman Larson with Arizona. So you can you can sort of manipulate and still stay in that good cap situation that way. Sometimes when you when you sign a big free agent, then it's a pretty big deal with with and not really losing any any salary on the other side. So you're taking on a big cap number. So he, he could be, if Jenny Dadnov is another one with, with Florida free agent, 28 goals, 28 goals and 25 goals the last three years. So pretty consistent in the mid twenties. I think he'd be pretty dynamic with a David Krejci, or maybe even on the top line with Bergeron. But again, you know, how much, how much is a wing that, that scores in the high twenties per year cost so that's another consideration. Um, I don't really want to trade Brandon Carlo unless we're really getting someone in return that's a real game changer on the roster. Uh, we, you know, the Bruins don't have a first round pick, which makes it difficult to really get a get a player in return and not have to give up people on your roster. You know, I'd like to see Jake DeBrus come back, but. Who knows how much he'll end up, what his market value really is and what he'll sit at. So I don't, I'm not sure if they'll go and get a big-time free agent. I think they'll put their toe in the water and try to wait it out and then maybe get someone a little cheaper than they thought because of the revenue ramifications and how the, the, the state of the league is right now. So it'll be interesting to see. It's just funny how nothing – we haven't – we've heard a lot. Boy, we've heard – an incredible amount of rumors and, and this is, this is, this is how it's going. And then it turns around and said, no, this is how it's going, but nothing has really happened. And that's, it just leads me to believe that it may be a less exciting off season than we potentially think, but you know, hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Um, uh, uh, just one touch one. I thought of another player um, that probably uh, won't be like the, the dying need of uh, of right side production, but somebody that can complement very well, and uh, I don't think he's going to be that expensive. But, but like a, a player like Tyler Toffoli could be explored too. You know, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be resigned in Vancouver because of their cap situation and what's going on there with the Jakob Markstrom and blah blah blah. So um, he's a, he's another player that continues to make rumors, uh, even from back the the last deadline, as I mentioned. So. Uh, uh, that bears watching, obviously. In, in another team with with cap ramifications is the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, they're their division rival right now. And they have, you know, a situation now where they're going to have to probably trade a winger. 
And the winger that I heard was potentially Alex Kalorn, who was an old, you know, a Harvard grad, you know, Harvard, uh, old Harvard player. Um, so has some New England ties, I guess. Has said he'd, you know, he'd love to play in Boston and we didn't have any problems with it. So Alex Kalorn is a guy in a trade package that could be had. I just wonder, and, you know, Heather, we could start with you. I, I just wonder if the, the Lightning and Bruins, who are really battling for, you know, Eastern Conference supremacy, whether or not they'd make a trade with each other. I don't really think most teams will trade not it's one thing to trade within the conference, but within your division, like you're trying to be Tampa and yes, they have to give up something because they have for 10 years been just sucking in, like, you know, trying to figure it out, you know, um, they probably should be trade partners. You know what I mean? Because we have the kind of parts that will help them not totally fall apart. And they have some parts that we need to share us up and make sure that, you know, we don't go through the dumpster fire rebuild. We just kind of retool like we talked about, uh, but I don't think realistically that makes sense. Not with two of the best, literally the top two teams, probably arguably in the whole entire, you know, league. That seems ridiculous that they may be trading parts. But I would say never say never because I've seen some crazy things this week going around in hockey Twitter land. So one would be surprised. But I would go with probably a hard no. It makes a lot more sense to trade with Arizona or Vancouver or Minnesota or somebody than it does to uh, trade or even Ottawa. You know, like someone who's not competing with you, it's not. Uh, but that's just mine. I, I think that both teams would be hard pass, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, anything's possible for me. And uh, I believe you wrote an article about this, Matt, on the blackandgoldhockey.com website that was either published yesterday or today the guys are working right, yeah. yeah it was uh, yeah published yesterday on, on blackandgoldhockey.com and i sort of looked into because when i heard alex Kalorn's name i thought boy i really like Kalorn, and he's a left wing that would you know he could put on a second line and you know be productive and he's a harvard kid and all that and his his number was like in the under five i believe four and a half range a uh, million dollars per year contract so I thought that he might be a guy who would really be a good Bruin. And then I thought, well, they, you know, the, the lightning would take on maybe, you know, a pick or maybe next year's pick or something in return. And I thought maybe they could be partners. Also Mikhail Sergachev, who is an RFA and a good young defenseman, 22 years old. You know, that was another guy that I thought, well, maybe the Bruins could make a deal to brusque for Sergachev and maybe some other pieces to make it if that's not, if that's not something that would be fair to both teams, maybe throw in a couple pieces in there and it maybe a guy like Sergachev would be good for the Bruins and maybe sign him at a decent number and, and move on with him. So I think, I think you're right. I think it's, it's sort of strange that we would consider it, but the parts are there to, to make some sense. So I don't, I don't know though that two of the elite teams battling each other would really take the risk to help one another because if anybody fails that trade then you're pretty likely to to be beat out by that team next season so we'll see what what happens there uh next on the agenda was jack eichel as heather was just saying and eichel has a big number at 10 million per year it was a big deal with the sabers it's been kind of a mess there i mean the buffalo sabers haven't been able to get out of their own way eichel is showing a lot of discontent he's a bu guy and there's been a connection to Boston. They've kicked the tires on it. 
I don't know if they can take on this type of salary right now uh, without the Sabres taking some in return uh, back to them. But maybe it's something that the year after they could they could explore when the Bruins are in a much better place even than they are now in cap. So I don't know, Mark, what is your take on Jack Eichel? And is that something that could be feasible? And would you throw all your chips in? Because that's what you'd be doing with someone like Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an inter- interesting narrative that folks have, have explored. Um, and, you know, whether they've kicked the tires or not, um, you know, the Bruins are in the business of making your team better and being competitive every year. So with that being said, I kind of take the angle of what has to go to Buffalo for, to, to accommodate a, a trade with, uh, you know, a superstar like Jack Eichel and, and just seems to be getting better year by year with more experience. And in my opinion, it's, it's yeah, we, I'd love to have him. Um, obviously, if there's a, you know, if there's a, a crazy departure and, and somebody needs to come and, uh, and play that second line center role, he'd be perfect for it. Um, or even the first line drop Bergeron down. It all looks good on paper and everything like that. But when you look at that same piece of paper and you look at what's going back the other way, for me, that steps back in your uh, willingness to compete year by year into the future because you're, you're giving a lot of the future away um, in, in a trade like that. And some people say it's worth the shot and so on, and you can replenish the... Uh, the uh, the draft pool at, at any time, but um, I just I like what we have in our youth and and honestly, if you think about it and you dissect it a little further, a trade like this for a player like that is going to want to get as much back on the other end. Like you could definitely see um, a McAvoy involved in a trade like that. You could definitely see a, a Carlo involved in a trade like that. Um, you know, it's it's that type of dynamic player that. You're gonna get it, and it's it's gonna cost. So, uh, I I am on the fence of of yeah. We do need scoring. We need to get better in five on five, and he's a player that can definitely do something like that. But I'm also on the other side going. You know, we're taking steps back by wanting a big name player to address certain needs. But what are we doing by the year to year in the future with these assets going the other way? What about uh, Heather? Do you like do you like Jack Eichel? Or do you think that that's someone that the team should invest in? Because you'd be paying a lot more than you're paying your current core. I love Jack Eichel, but I don't love him enough to even if they eat some of his contract, we're still back to that still eight million dollars or whatever that you have to. And I think I'm more worried because that is the trade situation in which I just personally I cannot give up. McAvoy or Carlo because they are the defensive future. You know what I mean? Like you said, and you could put Grizzly there maybe too. We'll see what remains to be seen with him. But like there's you drafted them. You put them in so young because they were ready. You got to let them finish developing and be part because they are your new veteran core going forward as the current veterans retire. Right. Um, I do think we also have a lot of, things in the pipeline that although some people might be sad if they leave, we could get rid of prospect talent too, because Buffalo is a crap show. Do you know what I mean? You could maybe even trade a lot of those things that are getting to the point where 
like we always talk about, I know Mark and I have talked about, I'm sure you feel the same way, man. At some point you got to decide what you're doing because we can't just have 355 centers, 975 right shot defensemen, whatever it is. So it is interesting that if you could maybe dump some of the baggage, you know, you're definitely not going to have any more patience for kind of thing into a package. And I mean, I don't want to give up Jake DeBrusque. I prefer he stays here, but someone who's important, but we might be able to um, bandage with what we already have <coughs> and they eat some Eichel. Now we're talking. I still think it's probably more practical. We could take a stab at Taylor Hall unless he doesn't want to play here. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just me. Uh, I don't think, and like Mark was saying, for me, it's like the long term, right? Unless you are sure this kid and pasta and whoever can carry your team for the next eight, nine years, like Marshawn Bergeron and them have been doing, it's not worth the risk, right? You know, you know I, and I, I agree. I think you risk losing Charlie McAvoy either way. I think you either include him or you risk not being able to resign him because let's face it, McAvoy is going to be your your first $8 million player probably, I mean, at least. I mean, he's going to make, especially if he has the type of season we think he will with more increased offensive exposure and more power play time and his numbers start to go up and he plays 28 minutes a game, then McAvoy is going to be a hot commodity when it comes up year after next you know, when his, when his contract comes up. So if you have Eichel on the books for a 10, even if it's nine and they took some money, now you're looking at McAvoy at eight or nine. And now you're putting yourself in a position where you're kind of, you're, you're almost, you're risking losing McAvoy if you haven't already traded him for Eichel. I mean, I would do, I really don't want to trade Carlo either. And that's the night, next item on our list. So, we'll, so I don't, I don't want to trade Carlo, but I would trade Carlo for like Eichel. I mean, I'd pack, for, I mean, Eichel is model of consistency at 36 goals last year. He's a point per game player in his career. He has like 337 out of 354 games. I mean, he's on a bad team with not a lot of great play. I mean, Kyle Pozo is a swinger, I think. I mean, it's just not a great team. And they've had a lot of issues, like you said. But I, I, I would trade Carlo for someone like him. But uh but I think I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think you need another Brandon Carlo. I don't think you just need one. I think it, they would do that. It would do them well to get a second guy like Carlo to put as a, you know, in a third pair and then try to go get a left shot defenseman. So, um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know your thoughts on it, Mark, but I, I am not, I'm a big Carlo guy. I'm trying not to overrate him. And I feel like I am <laughs> sometimes like, I mean, he's not a great offensive production guy, but he is a, a slow, he's a steady guy in the back, on the back line. And he, he makes a pretty good number right now. He's probably going to be pretty affordable for the years to come. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm torn on Carlo. Yeah, I'm, I am too, uh, Matt. And that's a, it's a great topic to talk about because the fact is that if, I mean, he's a valued asset that you know is going to be one of the two that are going to go the other way. Uh, when you're thinking about youth and, and rebuilding and so on, when you take a, a player like Eichel out of the lineup, you want something in return, obviously. But um, it, it, you're basically taking away what you're trying to build more of, and that's to get uh, a steady shutdown defense that can be still mobile, even though you might be losing uh, a player like Krug and that mobility. But um, you know, the, the, the way that Bruins fans seem to navigate to now is, is to get bigger. And, and solidify that defensive zone 
um, better than it has been. So uh, you're taking a player out and you're not creating anything for the future. And I don't see anything coming back the other way that's gonna immediately going to impact like a Brandon Carlo did. I know he was a pretty much a no-show in the playoffs. The team was a no-show in the playoffs, let's put it that way. Um, but his, um, his production, regardless of point production, um, he had a solid year. I thought he was like, you know, a very good defenseman this year, possibly. He was my candidate for the seventh player award. And, you know, and then COVID hit. So um, I just don't want to take a big body away now and, and replace it with somebody that hasn't had time to know the chemistry and know the system and so on moving forwards. But that's just my opinion. Heather, do you like Brandon Carlo, or do you are you uh, do you overrate him like I do? Or? <laughs> I, I, I may definitely overrate him, but I do love Brandon Carlo, and I think um, he's has moments of brilliance because I don't really expect offense from him. That's what I'm asking for Charlie McAvoy to do. I'm asking Brandon Carlo, and even though him and Krug were a total crap show during the playoffs, although not the only problem, as people tried to make it like it was. Generally, they were your best parry of defensemen, consistent all year long. You know what I mean? Like, there's when there was messy, it was messy. But I, I agree with you in that. Like, if if I am having my team trade for someone like Eichel, I know I'm gonna have to give up someone big. I just think that it's the forward group we have to figure out how to kind of weed some of the people. Who can we dump, right? I mean, we have a lot of people and prospect. Like, I'll give eight of them up if that will save not giving up Brandon Carlo, too. And then if I have to throw in a Bjork, I mean, I don't want to. I like Bjork, but, you know, someone like that, as opposed to giving up the back end, which really isn't that bad. Do you know what I mean? Part of our problem is our forwards also aren't really good on the check or like trying to control the situation sometimes, which is exactly what happened during the Tampa, right? Is that we couldn't control the neutral zone at all. Tampa was faster, even though we might've been equal. So, but for me, Brandon Carlo, like I said, I think him and McAvoy are the backbone of your new generation of Bruins. They, they represent the next stage. Yes. We might have to give them up, but I, I just don't think that, it's so weird because Buffalo is hard to think about because Buffalo needs everything. Like they have nothing, like they're not saying nothing. I would Jeff Skinner. I mean, they have some people there, a couple Rasmuses. I don't know. Things are going on, but I really don't want Carlo to go. I feel like we have other things we could package. And even if it was a bigger package, I don't know. I guess I can't articulate what I'm saying, but I do understand it may be a necessary evil, but I'm more comfortable as much as it is like trading a Bjork or whatever than I am with trading a Carlo because we have a million Bjork type players that we could either plug in if we need to, or it'll free up, you know, maybe we can get something in return. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, lot. yeah, I, I mean, I think we're in agreement that, that Carlo, I like the fact that Carlo and McAvoy on your right side for the next, whatever many years is a great, is a great thing. I mean, you can just sort of put them there and, and be done with it. And I think Carlo, when it was, when, when his, uh, after this year, when his contract is up, I think he'll make an affordable number because his offensive numbers really aren't there. So he, typically you don't pay a ton of money for stay at home defenseman types. I just have to get around my head, whether or not he's just a, a little bit better skating version of Adam McQuaid, or is he, Ooh. is he better than that? I mean, is he, is he better? better? Because I don't know. I mean, because there's not a lot of, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, McQuaid was very good at, at, at points when they when they made their cup runs and things. I mean, he was he was he was tough and he was durable and he was, you know, he was steady and he was stay at home. So I don't know if that's what Carlo is or if, or if Carlo can be a guy that uh, continues to improve. So I it, it it again I don't know what the value is of him until maybe he's gone or maybe you put him, you know, or maybe he just signed somewhere else or, or we'll see what the market is for him when his, when his RFA rights come up. And so I don't know, it's, it's, it all depends, I guess, on uh, what you would get in return. And I would do someone like Eichel and that's an upper echelon type of player. Um, but for just a lower level type of like for Ekman Larson or guys who have some question marks to me, Eichel doesn't have any question marks. His only question mark is his price tag. So, like, but I, some other lower level, you know, second tier type guys that you're going to go get in the market. I don't know if Carlos worth tra- you know, being in the package to trade for that. So I guess we'll see what happens. There's, there's actually one, one thing I wanted to ask you. It's not on the agenda, but I was just going to throw a little curveball. So don't kick me off the show. But um, <laughs> uh, is it possible? And you're going to think I'm crazy, but is it possible that Brad, Brad Marchand if a team if a team inquired about him and had an interesting trade proposal that he could be someone off this roster that could be moved to sort of really change the makeup hmm. or is that just out of bounds go ahead Eva. wow that's good yikes man jeez I, know, I just um, i just threw a curveball it's, you know it's a hard but question. it seems like he's not he's not talked about at all Mm. And I see, and I and I think that obviously Bergeron won't be, and Pasternak won't be. Yeah. But I feel like Marshan at 33 years old makes a pretty decent number, like six million. You know, I don't know if if a team sort of inquired about that. If you can make a trade of like, you know, maybe you get a left shot D or something, or you get something in return, or. I don't know. I mean, is it possible that they could explore that, or is this a guy who doesn't seem to be mentioned a whole lot? I think that's interesting because I mean, is the, it's always crazy, right? Everyone because right. of his money and whatever and whatever. But that's a good point because Bergeron and Marshawn and they all make around the same amount of money. You know, it right. just depends on when you signed your deal. For so for all this, this person signed for this much. Yeah, well, hello, it depends on the year, right? Like, right. but um, that's interesting. I I have a hard time saying yes. I mean, anything's possible, right? But Marshawn for me is because. He is the MVP of the team. He puts up, you know, around 100 points a year, mostly, you know, whatever. 80, like, he's pretty consistent. Uh, he, te- he tends to get in trouble right before he scores his 30th goal or whatever of the season. Right. <laughs> um, but absolutely, do you, the Bruins, if they said, hey, man, we're asking about Brad Marshawn, I can guarantee you for as much as people like Brad Marshawn, Raddy Marshawn, blah, 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 would be all over that. And mm-hmm. it would yield a huge return, way more than Brandon Carlo. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting idea. Now now the Ico Buffalo thing seems a little more interesting. Um, But I would say that's probably not going to happen, but I agree with you. Why not? If we can be talking about Tuca and we can be talking about Krejci and we're talking about DeBrus Carlo, everyone on the planet, except for maybe right. Charlie McAvoy and the Richie brothers. Cause nobody wants to get them from us. Um, that's interesting. Wow. I I'm concerned about what the chemistry on our team would be if Marshawn wasn't here though. You know, that's kind of a hard hit on that, but uh, 
That's interesting. You could get a lot for Brad Marchand. Let's do it. Everyone yeah. else seems to be getting traded this week. Let's yeah, trade Marchand too. Well, uh, looking at Cap Friendly right now, I'm sorry, looking at Puckpedia.com, um, good friends of ours over there. Uh, Marchand is 32 years old, and he has five years left on his deal. Uh, there's a no-movement clause, the first two, and there's a modified, the last three. And yeah. he comes in at $6.1 million UFA in 2025. Believe it or not, it's not crazy. It's not crazy to think about it, Matt. Hmm. His value is probably very high right now. Every team in the NHL besides the Boston Bruins hates this guy, but if he's on your team, you're going to love him. He's that type of player that can just turn a franchise right around and say, I like this guy. So that five years that he has remaining on his contract is very enticing for um, a, uh, another team that might be interested in making a move. Um, but his age is always skeptic, too. So he's, he's on the other side of 30. We all know the narrative when we talk about aging forwards like that. But the price tag is very, very uh, cap friendly for another team that's interested in, in possibly making a move. So, you know, I'm a fence guy. You guys know that. It's I see value on the team and on, on the market. It's not a crazy idea, but it, it is it does bring up questions like like Heather just said, but the chemistry. Um, you know, what's Bergie gonna do? I mean, Bergeron's got uh, two years remaining on his contract. And um, both are modified no trades, and we're not going to talk about getting rid of Bergie. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it 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 does it does raise a certain question, and and good on you to bring it up, and and you know, I don't I don't think you're crazy. Well, I think I think it's you know when we're doing uh, you know episode three hundred and five, I think that that episode we'll probably be talking about when is when is no trade trade clause is modified. We may be exploring that again. You know, when that comes up, when he's 34 or 35 and at 6.1, maybe down the road they do. I just think that he, his name is never really mentioned as, as someone who they would they are completely hands off. There's no way we would trade him or there's, it's never really mentioned. His name's never really mentioned at all. And I just thought it was it's just sort of strange that at least it isn't mentioned as maybe a, a blockbusterish type of deal where you really change the makeup. And I get what you guys are saying. The chemistry is definitely, I mean, he's a big part of the team, obviously. And he's become more of a leader type, uh, even, you know, in his earlier years, he was a little bit fly off the handle type of guy, but he's tempered that and he's more of a leader type. And, and like you said, Bergie, you know, what would, what would he do in, in two years? You have Krejci going, you know, you know, wrapping up after this year, probably. So I don't know. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting thought and I just never hear his name. And I just thought and Sweeney said, we have to look at our whole roster and we have to explore all opportunities. And I didn't think Brandon Carlo's name would be out there and it is. So I don't know. I wonder if someone would make a call. If, if I think Sweeney would listen at least. So who knows? Um, that would buy you a first round draft pick. <laughs> well, right. I mean, I could get you back in like high, high first round. Um, but you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. They are, they, and I didn't think they'd really listen on Tuka Rask, and that's the next item on the agenda. Is Tuka Rask has been linked to Colorado as a team. I thought Colorado had a real chance to win the Cup this year. They're, they're a very good dynamic offensive team. They really have a weak link, sort of in the goaltending department. He has one year left on his deal. 
it could line up that they make one shot at it and they trade with Boston to take on Rask and see if they can make that run. And it's sort of been brought up with some steam behind it now. So I don't know. We could start with, with Heather. I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I would be open to trading Rask. The problem is, and I heard Evan Marinowski say this on Twitter, I think, was that, you know, if you trade him, then you automatically, you're not much of a contender anymore. I don't know how true that is because I don't know how you'd replace him or who you replace him with. And goaltending can be a crapshoot when it comes to the, to the postseason. Sometimes you look at Hudobin, just the, it's the hot guy. So I don't know. I, I, I would be open to trading Rask, especially with sort of his flighty personality and not knowing what you're going to get from him and not knowing if he's going to play beyond this year. And he's 7 million bucks. So I don't know, Heather. What, I, how would you, would you be open to that? I think I would. I would be, although I agree, you are probably taking a step back unless you're immediately replacing. I mean, Rask is Rask. He's, you know, a, fun, a Venza finalist every year, whatever, everything. But I also do think for one year left, can they afford, especially say we have a shortened season for a goaltender who he is an elite goaltender, but he does not play the amount of games that, I, I know no one is the Curtis Josephs and the Marty Brodeurs and the Rawaz of the world anymore, but still, like, Bishop still plays, like, 70 games, you know, 60 if he's healthy. Uh, and there's a lot of goaltenders, Vasilevsky, you know. So the, I would definitely be – if we could figure out how to reasonably replace him so we don't collapse on the back end, especially with defense in transition because we're not sure how that's going to work out – Absolutely, because that is a lot of salary that you could put towards a Jack Eichel or, a, you know, whatever. Um, I actually was thinking with Tuca this week, everyone keeps bringing up Montreal for a place for DeBrusque, but Rangers are looking for a real goal. Like, you know, honestly, like for one year, they, yes, they got rid of him. They needed that salary or whatever, but for one year to punch in for those other kids to get ready to take over, that's not a bad idea. Montreal, Carey Price, honestly, uh, Carey Price. I keep thinking he's going to have his total meltdown Rua moment at any minute because how can that guy be asked to stay there anymore and deal with that? You know, he's probably thinking, damn, I wish they'd release me. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. Um, it is interesting though, because Tuka, Tuka is an interesting character because he's kind of like Marshawn. Like would other teams be skeptical to take him on because of his personality? Do you know what I mean? Like, because he is only going to probably give you 45 games of the 82 uh, and for whatever reason, you know, and I try to not be too hard on whatever. Some people just personalities are different, right? Um, I absolutely would be open if that means it would lead to, like, again, for a blockbuster trade, like you were saying with a, you know, you got to have a blockbuster trade involved with that if it was a Marshawn or whatever. So it's interesting, though, because everybody kind of could use a Tuka Rask for a goaltender, right? So who would we want to try and pick from, right? That goes back to maybe, maybe that's Vancouver is actually a trading partner for us, right? Depending on what happens with Markstrom, you know, so I don't know. It's interesting, but I would definitely, definitely entertain it. Sorry about the tangent boys. And this, you know how it gets. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm on, if, if that needs to be done and explored to free up cap space and make a team better, I'm all on board. So uh, it's not that I don't like Tuca and what he's done in this organization. He's been a, um, a solid member, and um, and his numbers uh, just it just proves it when you look on the uh, the stat sheet. Um, for me, talking about Colorado is 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 intriguing because of the 
the ask back. And I've heard as far as uh, Zadonov um, and uh, Tyson Yost. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe both of them are defensemen. So it's not a bad return on the back end. But when you think about a trade like that, you also have to think about players that are, you you know, your your um your seventh and eighth defensemen on your team, like Connor Clifton, uh, Jeremy Lawson, these guys that are trying to stay in the lineup consecutively. Those guys are now expendable when you get two defensemen coming in. And, you know, these guys got to be playing all the time. And to do that, they would have to go to Providence to play. And, and I talked about it on the Sportscaster live, live stream last night. You know, um, a guy like Clifton is, is, waiver, is waiver eligible. So, I mean, he's on a $1 million deal, very team friendly. Anybody's going to want to pick him up. They, they're not going to let him go right down to Providence. Um, I don't know about Lozon. I think he's still he's still on an entry level deal. I don't think he's reached the pinnacle yet of him being eligible for the waiver process. So he could be one that goes down if something like that happens. So there's a lot of lot of you know ways to think about a trade like this and what you're going to get back. Um, I know they're not going to like do McKinnon's and they're not going to do anything anything crazy. If you're going to get McKinnon, guess who's going the other way? McAvoy or, or Carlo. So um, it, it, it's the cap number too. Think about it as a business. That's $7 million off your, off your AAV to address other needs on this team regardless. And I think that a move like this needs to facilitate a, a forward and a defenseman. I don't know if like bringing two defensemen back is, a, is a, the greatest idea, but that's just me. You know, I've been a Ras fan from the get-go. I think he's sort of misunderstood here. I think he gets unfairly treated but from not winning a cup. I think in 2013, Game 6 was unfortunate against the Blackhawks. And, and in 2019, I think if Marcus Johansson scores on a really nice opportunity in front of the net, maybe it's a different game in Game 7. It's just one of those things. Again, hockey, sometimes it's, there's some luck involved and it just, you just, it just doesn't work out for you. But he's a Vezina candidate even this year. He's second in the running. He, he only makes $7 million in, in, as compared to Carey Price at $10 million, Vasilevsky at $9.5 million. So it's, it's not that bad of a deal for a team taking it on. I just worry about his his focus and whether or not he really wants is, you know, really wants to, to play, you know, to, to play at a high level, uh, his concentration level. I worry about those things. I worry about, is he one foot out the door when it comes to, I'm going to retire anyway next year. I don't know if you can really get him hundred percent committed. So those are the things that I worry about. You have an issue after next year when Rask and Halak are both up, their contracts are both up. So you have the young kids. So if you've got someone else, let's say you've got a Darcy Kemper who makes about four and a half and he was on the books for a couple of years, that, that would give you a little bit of a bridge for the young kids. And you could say, like you said, the 7 million, you'd save about two and a half million there. Um, so maybe that, that would uh, be a play. Maybe you could get a first round pick from Colorado because they're picking down the board. You know, maybe they, they're trying to make a run. They can, they can afford to give up a first round pick and maybe a Jost or someone, someone, a younger player, a defenseman, and maybe, maybe you do that. Um, I think the Bruins are open to it. 
Don Sweeney said before he had no reservations about Rask coming back or his commitment level. I think that's probably untrue. I think there are some reservations, and I think they are open to, to trading him. And I think it would be a pretty good move depending on the return and depending on how you filled, because you can't have Halak play the whole year. Um, he's a good backup, but you can't have him play the whole year. He can't be your number one goalie. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Rask going forward and then right around draft time here. I think if Rask is traded, I think he's traded tomorrow. I think he's traded before the draft so they can, because I think a first round pick is probably involved in that somehow. But I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes with Tuca. Uh, another team that is willing to give up their first round pick of the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're really looking. They, they were really sort of a surprise. You know, they were able to, to play well in the postseason. They got in there by sort of a stroke of luck, but then they performed pretty well. And they've made some strides from being a pretty poor team to actually improving some. And now they see, I think they see a window of maybe getting even better. So they're looking to deal their first round pick. The Bruins are not in the first round. So here's another scenario. Do you think that Boston and Montreal will come together with a trade, potentially sending DeBrusque maybe to Montreal? I think I might pass in my Bruins membership card if that were to happen. But uh, I'll get your take, uh, Mark, on this. Yeah, the, this is an interesting one. We do need to get back in the first round and so on, but um, uh, is it... I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> trading with Montreal is so tough and so on. But um, uh, Bergevin, and I know I said that wrong, but I'm doing that on purpose. Um, <laughs> he he, man, he really loves to throw things out there and see if they stick. But um, if that's true, um, I'd like to see a little more back in a in a in a trade for DeBrusque. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, I'd like to get back in the first round, but I'm not sure to that extent. <laughs> Heather, can you deal with the uh, Montreal Canadiens, or are you like me? You you don't want anything to do with them. You don't want to give them a young player like Jake DeBrus so he can score 40 goals and and beat the Bruins, you know, six times a year. I feel dirty thinking about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't. I don't, I don't want Jake DeBrus to have to go to a team. He doesn't speak French. That's going to be an issue. No, I don't know. He could speak French. That's what I'm just saying. Um no, that's just, it goes against the laws of nature, man. <laughs> like, right. I mean, I'm not saying business side of it. Yes, it makes sense. Just like when you talked about Tampa, I absolutely, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be sad if Alex Kilhorn was, you know, whatever, Kilhorn's on our team or whatever. But no, not Montreal, not Boston ever. Isn't that part of like, it's like rule number one, there is no fight club. Rule number two, there is no fight club. Rule number one, no, never date within the division and never date a Montreal Canadiens. It's just wrong. <laughs> like, I just, I can't. Like, if I, if DeBrusque isn't going to be here, it just... Also, Montreal, part of their problem is they're so young. So you don't want Jake DeBrusque to be your veteran on your team, right? Because he happens to be 24 and has been playing since he was young. That's weird, too. I feel like they're too forward heavy as it is. Um but I did say that they were going to get in. No one to listen to me. I was like, Montreal's going to play themselves into the actual thing. And that's insane. But no, that's gross. But I mean, this is an organization who like, like he had to explain that the interim coach after their coach had a heart attack didn't speak French. So bear with him. Like, Jesus, I don't want to drop DeBrusque in that environment. But speaking of environment, sorry to circle back just a little bit, though, like with trades, maybe trades, whatever with Eichel is, I don't know how Eichel would do too well in this 
pressure cooker. Like, Nebraska's been in Boston, which is kind of similar to Montreal and Toronto with the pressure cooker of the press, right? So he could probably handle it. What about some of these players who we trade with? We don't know they're not going to crack under the Boston. Like, just so you know, you're going to suck always, no matter what you do. I mean, Tuka Rask is the most winning goaltender in Bruins history, yet he is the suckiest goaltender we ever had, if you listen to most Bruins fans on most days. So that's just something to think of. So, like, DeBrusque, I don't want him in that environment. You know what I mean? He's been trained to be in a competitive, media kind of savvy place. And that's just me. Sorry, I just thought of that, like it's a it's a valid point it's something that we don't really you know sometimes we just don't think we're sometimes i don't know we just don't think we're dealing with human beings like we just think yeah send this guy over there and this guy over here and it'll be fine or the stats will work out or and sometimes it's a very real thing being able to play here or not jimmy hayes couldn't do it i mean jimmy hayes was a, a a local kid who who really cracked under the pressure and once it started to go south for him he could never get it back and it was a disaster and we you know and they Bruins traded Riley Smith, who's doing great things with Vegas, and it was just – it was a poor trade. It's one of the worst trades, under the radar, worst trades they've made in a while. And Jimmy Hayes just couldn't couldn't do it. I mean, there are guys who have come here in all sports, you know, really cracked under the pressure, listened to sports radio, and listening, get hammered by, by you know – plumbers and electricians and watching the games and it just it it drives you it drives you crazy if you let it and some guys thrive i mean charlie coyle has had a has had has been tremendous a weymouth kid who really loves playing for his hometown team loves the pressure loves being close to home and he is really chris wagner's done a good job you know from walpole you know maddie grizzlick's been been good from charlestown i mean that there's been local guys who who know the pressure and can handle it, but there has even been local guys who've come here and haven't been able to do it. And it's a real issue. It's a real thing. And I always wonder if you, if you get a high price guy, like, you know, Ekman Larson, if he comes over and the, the jury's out on just what type of player he is and who knows, you could come here and just not play well. And, and now you've invested so much that the, that Bruins fans expect even more from you. So now if you don't bring it, so now it's now they're going to kill you. I mean, they're going to hammer you. So, uh, and can you take that? And that's that's a real consideration when you're making trades. I mean, Rask has had a hard time, and he's been a Vezina level goalie. He's he's done extremely well. He he could go down as the best goalie they've ever had, and he still gets destroyed by the by the fans and some of the media all the time as being you know not a winner and. And not and let you down in the end and this type of thing. So I agree. And I, I don't I don't I don't know, Mark. What is your take? I, I think that we don't consider it enough. And I don't think the teams do either. So I that's a certainly a concern though. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, I don't know where to go with this one. This is this is a it's a lot to unpack, Matt. Um <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's hard because I, I think if you if you bring a if you bring a guy over who you have a lot of money into, or if you sign a guy, let's say you sign Taylor Hall, and Taylor Hall has been good, and he's also been the number one overall pick, so there are high expectations. Probably hasn't reached them a hundred percent. Now he comes here with some question marks, and is he a Bruins type of player? I've talked about this before with David Krejci. He's like the only non-Bruins type of player that's that's played 
you know, several years with the team. Typically they get run out of town or the team gets fed up with them or they don't fit the Bruins style. So not only is there the Bruins style, but there's also the Boston media thing. And it's a concern or it should be more of a concern. And I don't, I don't even think about it enough, but it should be more of a concern when you're dealing with high priced free agents or you're dealing with contracts you're bringing over that could really hamstring you if it doesn't work out. Yeah. I think it's hard. Yeah. And either if you're drafting a player that you want in your organization or you're trading for a player that you want to get better in certain areas, the character aspect of, of being the human, the human aspect, you know, is, is so important and how that player is going to adjust um, you want to get the feel outs there of uh, how is he in the locker room, uh, how is he as an individual, and this and that. So there's so so many areas that you can you can address when looking at this. Um, and you know, obviously, we talked about Charlie Coyle. I mean, I mean, I was not a big fan of this deal, and it wasn't because of the fact is that Ryan Donato went the other way. It was his inconsistencies in scoring were a huge factor for me and a red flag for me, but. I'm glad that he has taken that to a higher level and came into Boston and really worked hard. His buck possession that I didn't see in Minnesota all the time is, is blatantly right in front of me now. And I was like, wow, there's a reason why we got this guy. So, uh, you know, you, you, that, that's the whole thing. Is It's so risky nowadays with everything that you do when you're trying to make um, a very competitive team like this Boston Bruins has uh, team has been in, in recent history. Well, that, that actually brings up Ryan Donato was not a kid. I mean, he was a, his father played here, was a decent player, um, you know, local guy. And and he had some struggles and they ended up trading him for Charlie Coyle. And it worked out. And now I hear that Minnesota is looking to, to move on from him again. Yeah, so San Jose is interested. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work out and, and it's hard to get back once it starts to go. I, mean, I felt terrible for Jimmy Hayes because I thought at the time, you know, big kid, local kid, you know, he might, he might do some things for us. And it just wasn't a good fit at all. And it was too bad because he's playing in his backyard and it wasn't working out. It must've been uh, really difficult for him. And I think it's a consideration you have to make. So. Absolutely. Well, we are at the uh, one hour mark or so, so. We can go a little further because we do have a guest, but um, I did, uh, I just want to jump in real quick. I did find a, um, this week in Boston Bruins history. Nice. So I went on the uh, online while you guys were chatting away. Um, this week, uh, today is the fourth. So on uh, October seventh in nineteen ninety five, mm -hmm. Boston's Fleet Center opens. So the new arena. Wow. We talked about the old Boston Garden last week. So this week we're talking about the new uh, facility that was built and opened in nineteen ninety five. Uh, the New York Rangers and Boston Bruins played in that game, and they tied it four. Remember ties? ties yes, I yeah. missed them. Jeez, uh, I can't believe that. But uh, yeah, so that's this week in Boston Bruins history. Um, hopefully, we'll get some more and do these in the future because I like these little these little history pieces and so on. There, it's interesting. And what I want to do is I want to do it for the week pro uh, uh, of the show. So. I don't want to go in the back. I want to go ahead so as we, uh, as we, the listeners throughout the week can figure it out that, you know, this happened. So, you know, it's really hard to believe 25 years. I mean, that's goes by fast, but 25 years, that's, it doesn't feel like it was that, that much long ago. 
Uh, I thought that when it first opened, it was kind of a bland sort of arena. I, I do like that they've gone to black seats and I thought the yellow seats just, it looked like if you, if three of you went to the bathroom, it looked like it was half empty. It was just, but the, uh, but the black seats, I think really look sharp and it made some nice changes to the concourse and, and that sort of thing. My dad's an usher at the garden. So they've, they've made some nice uh, additions even since he's been there 12 years or so. And I just, I miss the old garden and I miss the atmosphere. I, I miss that it. it was just, I mean, it wasn't a great, looking place aesthetically but it was such a great place for hockey fun uh, fun fact you were talking about when when you know three people go to the bathroom it looks empty <laughs> they actually do you remember the black and yellow seats yeah okay yeah. the reason for that is because of the eye perception oh is if somebody if somebody did go up and this was when the right. Bruins weren't very good and they were trying to make the lower bowl uh, more, you know, full, but they would purposely right. make that seat black to make it look like it was occupied. Wow. That is good. It does. It really does make a difference. Cause when I, when I would see it, I'd say, boy, it looks like it's empty, but you know, especially a seven o'clock start on a, on a Tuesday night or something and people aren't there yet. And it just looked, it just looked bad and it didn't look, it didn't look so great, but I think they've made some nice, you know, changes to it. I just miss, I just miss the old garden. So I would like to just remind everyone it was called the Fleet Center, not the Boston Garden. It was actually supposed to be the Shawmut Center. Then they got bought by Fleet. Then it was the Fleet Center. It wasn't even the Garden. I remember being pissed that it wasn't going to be the Garden. And just like I get mad when it's like TD Big. No, just remember when stadiums and stuff just had a name. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Boston Bruins Garden or whatever, you know, like then all the marketing. But I was so mad. But the first time I ever was in, it wasn't even a hockey game. It was at some like conference thing. And we got we were right under the scoreboard on the floor. And I remember like it's giant because the old garden was so small. And I'm like, you can see everywhere. This is weird. There's no poles blocking your sight. This is stupid. I'm not even there. But yeah, that 25 years, man. Things happen. Stuff happens. A lot of stuff has happened. How many Ask BNGs do we have? We have two that I saw when last I checked. All right. Let me, uh, why don't we start off with that? All right. All right, gentlemen. So uh, Ray Guarino, uh, at Ray Guarino, uh, wrote in, management talked about the disappointment in the fourth line this year, assuming Nordstrom is gone. How do you see it shaking out? I assume Frederick will be in the mix, but I also think that they will go outside the organization for help there. Thank you, Ray Guarino. Just want to make sure I'm saying it right, right? Yes, yes. Um, I don't know. That's 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 um it, it is it is uh a, a, I want Frederick in the lineup I'd like to see it um will it remains to be seen what's going to happen to Sean Corrali with one year left could he be a uh, a trade chip and if he moves would Bruins fans I don't know if I'm high on it but you got to throw it out there uh, and you want to address um uh, a certain need would a re- Joe Thornton return and him centering the fourth line to possibly get him a championship before he hangs him up. I don't, it, it, it has been talked about and so on uh, a little bit on the Twitter, but um, you know, th- that could be an option to bolster up a little bit, get a big body in front of the net that, that uh, big line needs. So just my opinion. I, I thought, 
I really thought Thornton was coming here last year when uh, the deadline. I really thought it was going to happen. Problem with putting Joe in a fourth line is that it's typically a grinding type line, and um, Joe's skills are probably better suited for a top six sort of situation. And I don't think you can put him there with his age and you know all the all the minutes he's played in his life. He's been a great player a long time. Really sad that they they traded him and it didn't work out. They talk about a guy who didn't work out in Boston. That was a that was a difficult situation with being in the first round overall pick. And Pat Burns didn't love him to begin with. And then it just uh, it just never really seemed to be like he was beloved enough. And it it turns out he's a he was he won the Hart Trophy and he's all a famer and just one of the great players of our generation really. And I'd love to see him come back for a year. I just don't know if it's feasible to put him in the right spot uh, for that. I actually wrote an article on blackandgoldhockey.com a, a little while back about fourth line and Trent Frederick. And I really like the, I really like the prospects of having Frederick on a line with Corrali and Wagner. I think that could be a really good puck hunting type of line for checking and even with a little bit of skill, a little bit of offense with Wagner and Corrali who can, who can score, you know, double digit goals. So I, I kind of like the prospects of that. I'm not a power Lindholm guy who has a Yale, he has a year left. Nordstrom, I don't think is coming back. I don't see a scenario. Typically Bruins in the past few years anyway, have gotten to a certain point with a fourth liner and then moved on from it. They did it with Tim Schaller. They did it with Noel Achari. There's a certain value I think they put on the fourth line. And when it gets to about a million and a half or so, they don't really get to like two million or beyond with with a uh, with a fourth liner. They sort of plug and play right there, and I think it's going to happen again this year. And I think that Frederick is should be the front runner, should be a lead guy because I've heard great things about him. And Mark, you've mentioned his AHL season. He you know he had really good season. He showed really good things. So I I like him, and I hope that he can be plugged in there in the fourth line. I kind of think both. Um... One being objective and not just feeding into my I don't I don't dig think the Trent Frederick the way everybody else does, but realistically the bottom, you know, the fourth line you really have to kind of have a cast of characters you know to put in there like you said we don't keep them long and we don't let their value get too long so if the idea is like Frederick is eventually going to move up to the top six. The, people that believe in him think he'll eventually be moving up the chart and not staying down low I do think you have to go outside though and because again sometimes we want players to be the players we want them to be like you were saying do we imagine Brandon Carlo is it just in our own heads you know um so I think especially on your fourth line you need options now I don't want Par Lindholm to be an option every time he's on the ice I'm like oh yeah I forgot Par Lindholm's on this team like I don't I don't need those players I do like the players like the Wagners or whoever they may, or even Nordstrom, right? His price is too high. That's probably why he'll go. But I do think he's a candidate if he was still only a mill. He, you know what I mean? They would probably keep him because he does grind for them when nobody else is kind of player. Um, but I think you need to go outside too. But that is something that you might get in return in a trade situation or whatever if you're exploring. So not so much you go out and sign that kind of player. He, obviously, it would make more sense to put Trent Frederick there. You know what I mean? But if in return you could get a decent person who could be a fourth liner, maybe on the third line, if you need someone on the right side, kind of, th then great. Have at it. You know what I mean? I think both ways. All right. 
So uh, this is from Chase Wing, uh, Elite 12 Sniper, says, so two questions. Do you plan to draft to win right now or draft for the future and reload? Will you be drafting a goalie prospect? Also, why isn't Toy Krug resigned? Thank you, Chase, for your question. Um, yeah, the, the draft one that you always just try to replenish. Uh, you're not going to draft a player, especially with no first-round pick, that's going to make an immediate impact. You're going to be selecting, or, or if Don Sweeney makes a deal and gets in there, there's a possibility. But generally, even if you're a, um, a Bruins draft pick, it's, it's becoming more customary to spend one full season in the American Hockey League they did it with Stadnika. They did it with DeBrusque. It seems to be working. Um, and to get accustomed to the Bruins system, even though it's a different league down there, it's a developmental league. And you learn how the system works. So when you're brought up, it's, it's not a, um, you know, a shock to anybody. So, um, and to go on the, the goalie prospect, I, 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 we talked about it. Uh, with Steve Corniano, so I think that this is a this is a deal a, a draft that they should address the goal de- goaltender, and get him in the mix. Either the ones that uh, I brought up with Steve, or even um, a college kid that still has time to stay in school and develop, but also you can time it to when his arrival to the NHL could be. So I just want to see somebody else involved. That's about it. You know, I think with the with the draft, I mean, picking fifty eighth, I actually did some research on it, and guess who was picked fifty eighth overall in two thousand eleven? That was Nikita Kucherov from Tampa Bay Lightning. So there's the one guy in the whole list I looked at that was actually you could say an upper echelon elite type of player. The second best player was like Yuri Hudler, and there were only three players, uh, four players ever picked fifty eighth since nineteen seventy nine to score at least 100 goals in their career. So it's not a great position to be in. Uh, Kucherov, obviously, is a great goal scorer and a great player in the league right now. But for every one of him, there's 50 other guys um, who really are just either fringe or, or don't really do much in the league. So it's going to take some advanced scouting from them to really pick someone at 58. I'd be intrigued to see if they jump into the first round. I guess it depends on how much they value uh, a, what what is really shaping up to be a wing heavy draft with a lot of good offensive wingers, which they could use. I mean, everybody can use, but they could certainly use them. Uh, as far as goalie is concerned, they do have that issue after next year where both of their NHL goalies are unrestricted free agents. Rask may retire. I guess it all really depends on whether or not they trade Rask and they and they plant another goalie with term in the mix if they do that then maybe they maybe they do that and they address it next year or something i think they could address it though where jeremy swayman seems to be a guy with a really good upside they really have to make a decision on dan vladar it wasn't a good situation with him in the postseason i'm hoping that's just a one-off put him in a bad spot and i'm hoping that he can actually be a pretty good nhl goalie but you have to really sort of weigh the options there and see you know, see see where you're going to get in the, in maybe in in two years from those those that pair. So, yeah, I would I would assume that they will they will sign a um, or they will draft a goalie maybe later rounds, 
and I don't know what they're going to get. It is a wing-heavy draft, as Steve has mentioned to us. So hopefully they can get a really good offensive winger with the 58th pick. And um, actually, we should just uh, uh, why don't we just go right into that interview with uh, the draft analyst Steve Cornianos? We had a really good conversation with him. So um, before that, let's uh, hear from the great folks at the thestorenextdoor.ca. Please go to the website and buy some of their stuff. It's awesome. It's 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 used hockey sticks and gear uh, made into like some really cool items, uh, everyday items like Adirondack chairs and coffee tables and so on. But um, We'll be right back, and uh, right after the Store Next Door ad, uh, we're just going to go right into talking to Steve. So um, this is a great episode, and we thank him for coming on. He was really generous with his time, so uh, we'll be right back. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. Hey Bruins fans, as mentioned in the program, when we started, we do have a very big guest and his name is Steve Cornianos. He is the Draft Analyst. You can find him on Twitter, at the Draft Analyst. You can also follow his work at thedraftanalyst.com. He's on YouTube and he's got a, the Draft Analyst podcast, which you can hear on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And uh, we have Steve on today to talk about the, uh, um, the Bruins draft preview that he did on uh, in episode 65 on September 6th of this year. So um, a lot of Bruins talk, a lot of draft talk, and we're hitting it right in, in a great, great time right now because the draft's starting on Tuesday night. But regardless, and i got to stop blabbing here, but to bring in our guest of honor, Mr. Steve Cornianos. How are you doing, bud? Good. How are you guys doing today? Excellent, excellent. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking some draft stuff with you. Uh, we uh, listened to the the episode sixty five of the uh, draft analyst uh, several times to get names correct and get all the information. But uh, psyched to have you on uh, to talk about some of those folks, uh, those players that uh, uh, potentially the next up and coming NHL players. So, uh, without further ado, let's start off with Heather, and she's gonna go uh, on a list of questions, and then we'll just go around the around the board. All right, too easy. All right. Hi, Steve. Hi, um, I know it's a very uh, wing-heavy draft this year. You had mentioned that and um, about how the Bruins, we don't really draft for, for position necessarily, but I'm always interested in defensemen and maybe um, getting a little more depth in our system on that. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you about um, Luke Reed a little bit. Um, he is an 01 kid. He's in the American Development System. He's... 190 pounds. He's a right shot on defense, which we tend to uh, be stockpiled on, but still. I played for Chicago, the Chicago last year, and you described him as a nimble skater with a calming presence 
pre- yeah, presence under pressure. Uh, so I was just kind of wondering uh, about this kid a little bit more, especially being an American kid in the system for Team USA. Well, yeah, I, it's a, it's a, he's a really impressive prospect. The one thing that I liked about him is that he plays for the Chicago Steel in the USHL. And I went to Youngstown, Ohio, a while back to see a couple of prospects. And this kid was on the ice for Chicago, and he's basically stole the show. And I'm like, all right, I, I guess I'm not, I need to do my due diligence because I don't know who this kid is. And then I realized that he wasn't eligible for the draft. So I remember sending a tweet out like, hey, keep an eye on this kid in two years because he's a stud. And so basically what we've seen with him, we've seen him progress uh, from uh, like really his first year in the USHL. I think he was 16 years old up until this season where the Steel were the freaking powerhouse of powerhouses. They were just destroying everybody up and down that lineup. They rolled uh, four lines. Uh, a lot of Bay State kids were there. Sean Farrell uh, was one of the big scorers. Uh, Sam Colangelo. You're talking about you know two potential top 40, top 50 picks. So Reed was like the power play quarterback. Uh, the number one. Now, the other thing, though, is that Chicago's got this kid named Owen Power, and he's a big uh, mobile defenseman who's expected to be potentially the first overall pick in next year's draft. And uh, Power was, I guess you could say, the on-ice general, but Reed was like the calming presence. He was the guy that ate a lot of big minutes. He played for Team USA at the World Junior A, Ch- Junior a Challenge. So he's a notable kid. I think he's going to North Dakota, uh, but uh, it's it, it really his skating – his agility, the, 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 I guess the read and the react, right? You don't want your defenseman to just stay in one spot and just kind of like look around and track the puck. You want him to take risks and make reads and step up, uh, maybe intercept the pass and turn the other way. Uh, and at the same time, when they're breaking out, you don't want them to rush into decisions and force passes to covered guys and kind of like throw their partner or one of their forwards under the bus. Because a lot of young defensemen do that. They, they, they don't want to deal with the physical forecheck and they just like kind of like get rid of the puck. And like, hey, you deal with this problem. So um, really a a very high hockey IQ young man. Uh, I don't see him really being as a four-year college kid. I think three years max is what you're looking at because he's just – he's going to go to North Dakota and he's just going to be a coach's dream. They're going to love coaching him. He's that good. That's good to hear too. It's always good. A teachable, uh, skilled player is always good too. The other guy I wanted to ask you about is this Ruben Rafkin. He's a Finnish kid. He played for Windsor um, last year, Uh, but uh, he's – a little small. He's 5'11". I mean, I know everyone talks about how small our defenseman is, but 190. Uh, but he had pretty good numbers. He played 59 games. He had four goals, 27 assists. And um, you described him as like a Bruins type player. And I just didn't know. Um, just some of the things I looked at, you talked about him, you know, really like in breakout opportunities. He likes to pass, you know, but he's not afraid to shoot either. And I just didn't know if you could tell us a little bit more about this Finnish kid that seems like to me, like maybe Bruins type player and describe what you mean by that. Well, he's making me look silly because I ranked him, I think, in the in the high or the I guess the early 200s. And he left Windsor, he went back to Finland and he's playing in the men's league there, I believe for TPS, uh, Turku, which is a big time program. And he's just he's off to a ridiculous start, like scoring wise, everything. So usually with these import kids, when they come over from when they come over from Europe, especially if they play in a place uh, like the OHL, the USHL, there's always going to be a transition period, uh, whether it be it's getting acclimated to the, uh, the culture or the, uh, the coaching style or uh, the teammates, what have you. And so Windsor was a, uh, a veteran heavy team up front uh, and they had a couple of notable guys on defense. But what I love about Rafkin is that he plays a North American style. So he's 5'11", 190, 
but he hits like a truck. Uh, he's very, uh, I guess, uh, he's got very strong leg drive, low um, lower body strength, but also upper body strength as well. So uh, he could skate pretty well. Uh, got has a very hard shot. And uh, what I love the most about him, to be honest with you, besides the skating, I guess, and the physicality, is his enthusiasm. This kid is genuinely very happy when his team scores a goal, whether he's involved in it or not. And uh, to me, that's always been a big selling point because uh, I like kids that actually care about the game and, uh, you know, really having fun out there at the same time. So, uh, you know, if you look at his point total, 31 points in 59 games uh, in a high-scoring league like the OHL, it's actually pretty impressive considering he was not a top-pairing guy. He was more of a middle middle pairing and uh, on occasion played on the top power play unit. Uh, but, again, he's very aggressive. He's always keep uh, in motion. If he's on the puck, he'll look to make a move or two in the offensive zone. If he's off the puck defending – uh, he'll look to make a big hit, but without really uh, taking away from his positioning. So he's not like really that much of a roamer where he looks to hit people for the sake of hitting them. It Usually it's done uh, with some calculation before, calculations made beforehand. So, uh, I mean, listen, he was second in rookie scoring amongst OHL defensemen. So he definitely has that potential to put up points. But again, like the physicality, the skating, the enthusiasm, plus the familiarity with North American hockey, uh, I think he'd be a pretty good pick. Uh, I don't think he's going to be around in like uh, the sixth, the seventh round. He'll probably uh, get drafted somewhere between rounds three and five. Awesome, thanks, Matt. Uh, hi, Steve. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, so I, I, I really took a look at when you were talking on your podcast about Brett Barad, and I really sort of dug in a little bit about him. He's five nine, one sixty, sort of small and slight, but he had his game sort of modeled after Brad Marchand. And I really sort of uh, thought that maybe the Bruins could could look to him to sort of recreate a, a Marchand type of player. He's committed to Providence College, but I was wondering what you thought of him possibly at 58. Uh, I mean, listen, it, it, size isn't that big of a deal anymore, uh, at least in the last couple of drafts. So you're going to see teams more than willing to draft uh, smaller types, especially if they have that high compete level, that battle level. Uh, where they show a willingness to do the stuff that you really need to to succeed in the NHL. And uh, I, I'm pro analytics. I understand that they're, they're a tool and they, they can be essential, but you know, you need guys to go to the net. You need guys to go into the corners. You need guys to be willing to take a hit, to move the puck. And uh, so uh, when I watched Barard play, I watched him play a ton. Uh, I saw a kid who just was so confident when he collects the puck, he's got a lot of speed. So you could, Consider him that playmaker, that setup guy. Uh, but so he has like a level of dynamism. But I think the first time I really watched him, what stood out was there was like a whistle, like a whistle scrum. And he just skated right into it. And he's amongst the trees, you know, five nine, five eight kid. And the defenseman were maybe like six one, six two, And he's shoving him. He's mushing him in the face. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I like this kid already. And so and then I found out that he's a Providence kid. So it made a little bit of sense. Uh, and then, uh, of course, when he goes to Providence to play in that program, he's going to have to be tough. Uh, they, they demand uh, hard work and uh, commitment to the team, a team-first attitude. So I never got the sense that even though he's uh, one of the top explosive talents on that team, that team, uh, the, the NTDP this year was more of a, a tight-checking, hard-nosed physical group than the season prior where they were, you know, the Jack Hughes and the Trevor Zegerses were flying all over the ice. And I thought that he fit really well into that system. And as the season progressed and he was able to distinguish himself against college kids, you know, the NTDP, 
the first half of their schedule is loaded with college opponents. And we're talking BU's, Michigan's, Minnesota's, and North Dakota's. And he was able to hold his own. So the size is just really a number, in my opinion. I think that he's got the high-end potential. And uh, the abrasiveness, uh, you know, if you ask him to dial it down, he'll dial it down. But uh, I think he's uh, well-respected by his teammates. The coaching staff loved him. And uh, it's just a matter of time before he's able to come to the NHL and uh, drive people crazy. Hey, Matt, Matt, I just want to jump in real quick right here. Is um, Providence College, um, is there any ties, uh, you know, Rhode Island to possibly Brian Burrard in this uh, in this player? That's not his dad, is it? I mean, it made so much sense to think that, right? But apparently there's absolutely no connection whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's any type of relationship. I mean, it, but I don't, I don't know if he went to Mount St. Charles, but uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, Barad, Rhode Island, like you think of Brian Barad. And, yeah. uh, I, but no, there's no relation. Uh, at least I don't think it, there is. So, All right. Uh, thanks, Steve. Yeah. Another player I looked at uh, with a high, very high hockey IQ from what I saw was Emil Heinemann. You talked about him also in your podcast. Dominated the Swedish Junior League, scored 26 goals in 29 games, yeah. uh, 6'1", 185. Uh, looks to be another one that I think that the Bruins could target. Yeah, he uh, is, uh, if you want to call him a late bloomer, you call him a late bloomer. Usually when kids are not earmarked for the national programs at the 16 and 17-year-old level, mm-hmm. uh, then you got to consider them a sleeper, at least on your watch list. And he exploded right off the bat. He, he played with a center named Nils Amon, who was a double overage, you know, born in 2000. So he had that, that, uh, the benefit of playing with an experienced setup guy. Uh, but uh, as the season progressed, I noticed that Heinemann was very low maintenance and I saw Chris Kreider moments and, uh, and I'm not saying in a sense that, uh, you know, he's going to be a Chris Kreider, but uh, the exploding down the left wing, exploding down the left wing and just ripping pucks on net, uh, having that inside step on the defenseman, no matter how fast that defenseman may be. Uh, and so I saw that during the season. The thing about Sweden is their defensemen are pretty mobile. Uh, you can't be, they don't have a whole lot of like big lumbering 6'4", 225 stay at home type. Swedish defensemen tend to be very agile and quick. And although they, they tend to leave a lot of room at the line to allow those clean zone entries, they usually have pretty good catch-up speed and, and react really well or adjust their speed when backskating. And, and they had a tough time with Heinemann doing it. So when uh, I guess the Swedes took notice and invited him to a tournament, the U19 Five Nations, uh, which took part in Germany. It's kind of like a like a mid-level tournament. There's really not a whole lot of notable names there. And I think they created that tournament to allow – these, uh, I guess, less than notable kids who are on the draft radar to play. So you rarely see superstar prospect types playing it. Uh, and it's just European teams. And he went there and he freaking dominated it. He was absolutely dominant. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't slow him down. So he's got the combination of the speed, the size, and the shot. Uh, I mean, what what more could you want out of a, a goal-scoring winger? And, and, and the, the IQ uh, played into it because he wasn't just like a bull in a china shop. He, he was calculated. He noticed. Uh, when uh, he was kind of sealed off or was about to be sealed off, he'd peel back high at the line and maybe wait for puck support to arrive. And that's hockey high, uh, hockey sense, hockey IQ, not rushing into decisions or putting your teammates in a bad position. And in this day and age, you know, giving up possession, uh, if you're going to do so, let it be a critical situation where you really have to give up possession uh, to uh, uh, prevent the other team from uh, uh, hurting you. Uh, but you see a lot of kids nowadays, they just do it just to get rid of the puck. And we see it at the NHL level as well. Well, a kid like Hyman rarely does that. If he 
if he does it, it'll be a chip and chase and he will use his physicality and, and, and really bear down on that defender and make life difficult for him. You know, one other player I looked at, it might be a little bit of a stab in the dark, a little bit of a reach. The Bruins have been known to reach Zach Zenishin in 2015, but I looked at Blake Biondi and I looked at his numbers as a Minnesota hockey, high school hockey kid, Mr. Mr. Hockey, Minnesota, 175 points in 75 high school games. Uh, has all the offensive tools. The big question mark was the competition level. But I wonder if, and I've seen him anywhere from maybe third to out of the draft. So yeah. I think it may be later, maybe fifth or somewhere around there, maybe take a shot at a Biondi and see what the potential is there. Yeah, I'm higher on Blake Biondi than most. Uh, I'll admit it. Sometimes when you watch a kid for the first time and he puts on a show, you kind of get, you know, uh, all right, uh, he's got my attention. And then if you watch him the second and third and fourth time, uh, then you're like, all right, well, every time I've watched him, whether it be uh, at the international level or at the high school level, uh, he's, he's definitely uh, been impressive. And he was, a, he, I think he was uh, invited to play, but he would have made the NTDP. And I believe he chose not to and return to high school. And we all know, just like in Massachusetts, a lot of these kids in Minnesota, they, they like to win the state championship in high school. It's a big mm -hmm. deal. It's almost like, you know, world juniors with Canadian kids. So I'll never shame or fault the kid for wanting to maybe take the easier road uh, and not go to the USHL for a full season or not go to the NTDP and maybe stay with his, his, his boyhood friends and uh, try to win a, uh, a, a state championship. So uh, his time in the USHL was a little bit up and down, albeit it was a small sample size. Uh, but what I loved about Biondi, especially during the state tournament, was the, was the high, the battle level, the intensity that he played with. And he's got a great shot. I'd say it's definitely his, his uh, most impressive asset that he could snipe it from just about anywhere. Uh, so you're looking at a center. Uh, maybe he's got some work to do in other areas. Uh, no issues with his defensive play from an effort standpoint. He just needs to learn the technical stuff, the positioning, how to read and react properly. Uh, but again, dual threat, uh, shoot pass guy, a good skater, I guess, and um, good size, really. I mean, was he about six one, six foot? Mm. So uh, we'll see. I I, I think I, I'm more bullish on him than most. So I, I would say realistically, I'd see if somewhere between rounds four and six is where you find them. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Great stuff. And we are talking to Steve Cornianos, the draft analyst. Follow him on Twitter at the draft analyst. Uh, Steve, Heather mentioned something um, previously when she had her questions about the, the draft being um, uh, winger heavy. And yeah. the Boston Bruins have been trying in the past, like, like Matt said, with the, uh, the Zach Senechin pick to possibly address the right side. So I gravitated to two players that you talked about on episode 65 of the, um, the Draft Analyst podcast. Uh, the first one is Maxim Groshev, and he plays, uh, he's a versatile forward, as you know, left side, right side, 18-year-old Russian native, 6'2", 194 pounds, has played 55 games in the MHL, posted 10 goals, 15 assists, 25 points, played 45 games in the higher KHL, posting uh, a goal, 7 assists, 8 points. Decent international career in the under-18 tournaments um, and potential second-round selection in 2020. What are your thoughts on uh, on Mr. Groshev, Steve? Yeah, he's 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 really interesting. I I think I forgot which team podcast I did. Yes, I think they did like six. But one of them I said how I, I look at what I rank him is somewhere in the 70s, and I keep saying why am I ranking him this low? And this is just the you know the 
result of watching, you know, what, seven, 800 kids a year, where you, you're going to eventually have, uh, you know, uh, kids you're going to have to knock down. Or So I always viewed him as a potential first-round pick, at least uh, uh, t- in last year, towards last year, when he was playing for Russia at those international events, uh, and also watching him in the, in the MHL. I think what may have hurt him in the rankings was that he spent a huge chunk of time in the KHL, which is very rare for a Russian kid to do, a, a draft-eligible kid. Uh, and so uh, not that I was looking at stats. I'm just you're watching the kid play. He's only playing three to five minutes a game. And it's usually sheltered minutes early in the first, second period. And then they kind of, you know, uh, you know, cut his ice time down. Uh, well, the, the, I think the turning point for his season that really uh, made him a notable player or a notable prospect to people that may not have been familiar with his game was the Super Series. And the Super Series is that tournament where the, the Russian World Junior team, or at least one of the teams that Russia would like to, I, I guess, uh, create to send to the World Juniors, they play uh, the all-star teams from each of the major Canadian major junior leagues. So the Q, the Dub, and the, and the O. Uh, and so he made that team, and he played so well, uh, really dominating possessions, as the stick handling, the puck protection, play along the wall. He's a heavy kid. Uh, but he's got an excellent wrist shot. So although he's not like an explosive skater or really you call him a, a really above average straight, a straight line speed, he's got that deceptive agility and quickness in tight spaces. And because of his performance in that tournament, remember at the same time, the Russians had another U-20 tournament playing in Europe. So I think the Russian Federation's used that, uh, you know, one U-20 team on one side of the continent uh, in Europe, the other one in, in North America, and then whoever the best best players were, they'd kind of bring them together and say, that's going to be our world junior team. Well, he made the world junior team uh, because of that uh, performance. And even though he didn't play that much in the in the, uh, in the other 20 world juniors later on in December, he really stood out, uh, you know, I guess just in, in that super series. And overall, I, I look at a kid that's just built for the North American game. He doesn't, doesn't seem like he complains a, lot, a whole lot. He just does whatever's told to him. He could fill a variety of roles, net front presence. So he could uh, be that playmaker uh, and run the cycle or the weave in the offensive zone. Uh, so I'd say he's definitely more offensive inclined than defensive inclined. But again, uh, the, the maturity, the fact that the KHL, his team in the KHL, all right, they're not that great, but they're willing to entrust a young man to play almost a full season with them, regardless of how many minutes he played. It says something about him. So uh, I definitely, the Bruins have been drafting out of Russia a lot lately. And I uh, would not be surprised at all if they're like, you know what? Uh, we need a winger. And he is a finisher, by the way. He, he's got an excellent shot. He's got great hands. He's able to, to take the puck strong to the net, uh, finish, but you bury those rebounds, tip pucks in. So it's not like he's just this guy that stays along the wall and is on the, uh, on the periphery. He's, he's an inside player and he'll, uh, he'll duke it out as well. So I would definitely call him like a typical North American style power winger. Uh, the next guy, uh, and, and I'd like to address the, the right side as well, uh, or, or the wing position, and that's Robbie Jarventi. And yeah. uh, he's an 18-year-old Finnish native, 6'2", 185 pounds, played a majority of last season on loan to the Kovi team in the uh, Mestis Finland second tier men's league. Uh, with Kovi, he had 23 goals, 15 assists, 38 points in 36 games. He has... Uh, a goal and an assist with two points in uh, for the Ives Club in the top finish Liga League so far this season in two games played. So potential third-round selection for the Boston Bruins in 2020. Your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, one of the best shots in the class, uh, easily. Uh, this kid can bring it. 
uh, really from anywhere. Uh, he's got ideal size, uh, no issues with movement. You could maybe critique his stride or the live long day away, but when you can shoot the puck the way that this kid can, uh, who really cares? I mean, he, he gets, he knows how to get open and uh, he's not slow. So I don't want you to make it think that he's, a, he's just sometimes some of these big body, the gangly types have an awkward stride. And sometimes that might turn scouts off. And some teams really just want their guys to be fast. But the fact that he was one of the top goal scorers in an adult league, uh, granted it's Finland. So it's not like it's uh, the AHL. It's probably going to be a huge difference uh, when he gets here. But again, like you can't ask for anything more from a kid like that. He actually outperformed and outproduced a lot of notable kids that played the same league. So when you're one of the premier goal scorers and you have that elite shot release combination, it's accurate. He knows how to protect the puck. He's on the top power play. Um, really was a top line kid uh, playing with, I believe his center was uh, about 25, 26 years old, but he's low maintenance. It's not like he really needed the center to do all the work for him. So uh, I got him ranked, I think, somewhere in the second round, maybe the third round. I forgot where I put him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's if he's available in the third round, late in the third round, you snatch him up. If, if you want to address a need, maybe you go for a, more of a, a high-profile a explosive type uh, with speed with that first pick if you want, regardless of position. Uh, but if he's available late in the third round, you got to grab him. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I I watched a little bit of video on him and it's it's quite impressive, and that shot that you mentioned is uh is something else. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in because uh, I'm I'm a former goaltender, thirty uh, thirty year beer leaguer here, but uh, goaltending is my is is kind of my forte. But um, I believe that the the Boston Bruins should address uh, an addition to the to the goaltending depth. Uh, and I think this draft is is one that could uh, be beneficial for them to get somebody else in the fold. Now we've seen uh, in the past, especially t- 2015, when the Bruins picked uh, Dan Vladar, he was the second highest ranked um, international goaltender, which which spoke volumes. Came over here, and you know it's taken him five years to get to where he's at now. So, and you, and the addition of Jeremy Swayman into the system too, and and Kyle Kaiser. And uh, so I think it's going to be important for them to address that need now and get somebody in the mix. And, and one goaltender I was really looking at, and, and some really solid numbers, big kid, is uh, Nico Dawes. He's a 19-year-old Canadian-German uh, dual citizen, 6'4", 203 pounds, saw um, over 1,000 shots. Uh, and uh, he had five shutouts, a record of 23-8-6 and six in 2019-20 with the Guelph Storm in the OHL. And uh, in, the, in those 38 games, he had uh, a 2.48 goals against and a .924 percentage. Um, what do you think about that and possibly him being available when the, like the, the Bruins pick at uh, the third round, and, and much like what they did with Vladar, and address that need? Yeah, uh, I like him a lot as a prospect. There's a couple things to consider. Number one, some outlets have him ranked uh, near the first round. So uh, now I'm not saying they're right or wrong, uh, but uh, if, and central scouting was very high in him as well. I, I think he was the first rated North American goalie. So when you're the top rated North American goalie, doesn't matter how old you are. I think when it comes to being an overager uh, with the draft, I don't think it matters when it comes to the goal uh, in goal, because you know, goalies take forever to develop. And uh, so I think a team will say, well, like, you know what? I don't care that the fact that he's, uh, going to be 20 years old uh, soon. I think he's going to be 20 years old in December. It's that he, he's that far along. So that's the first thing to consider. The other thing is that the OHL was was run and gun. It was the 80s. 
uh, this year. I think it was the highest combined goals per game uh, the league has seen in uh, something like 30 years. Almost, oh, I think it was over or close to eight combined goals a game. So you had like 11, seven games and 13, 10 games. It was crazy. And so that really puts his numbers into context because Guelph was not a very good team. They were not very deep. They were, oh, I'm sorry, Peterborough. Uh, they were not uh, uh, let's say, you know, a team you would consider to be a OHL champion favorite or a Memorial Cup contender. And any success they had, it really all went back to doors. So when you're facing so many shots, I mean, uh, he's stopping 30 or more shots in 24 of his 38 starts, and he had four games with at least 40 saves. He had five shutouts. I mean, a 924 save percentage in that league this past season – uh, is really impressive. So uh, yeah, he's a butterfly, stays deep in the net. He's uh, uh, very quick, but his quickness comes afterwards. He's not like jittery in the crease. Uh, I know with goalies, there's a lot of things that you could evaluate. Uh, he drops down the butterflies pretty clean. Uh, you know, I think he uses more of an RVH than a VH. So you really see him get beat short side. He, he's a big kid, 6'4". So he covers that up a half when he's leaning against the post. So there's a lot of things to like about him. Uh love his puck tracking, love his anticipation. Uh, I would say his anticipation is almost on an Askarov level, Yaroslav Askarov level. And Askarov is going to be probably a top 10 pick. Uh, but again, maybe it's something that he's worked on over the last couple of seasons. And that's all you really want out of these goalie prospects is just show improvement every year. And then remember team Canada uh, basically invited this kid uh, to the world juniors. I forgot if he, if he was on the team, uh, but I know that he played on the, uh, at the Super Series, and uh, yeah, he actually was involved. Play, he did play for the team. He was just really the backup uh, to Holfer. So, uh, really, in terms of draft resumes, is a concern. Uh, you can't ask for anything more. I would just my concern as a Bruins fan would be is that he's gone by pick fifty eight. But if you do want to adjust the goaltending, uh, he'd be one of the, the guys I, I'd lean towards. Uh, also, a guy like Drew Camesso, maybe from a local standpoint. Uh, but uh, I can understand why people are really high on doors. Very mature kid. Um, one more for the goaltender, real quick. Uh, Brian Thompson, uh, he's an 18-year-old Saskatchewan native, 6'4", 185 pounds, in 2019-20 with WHL Lethbridge Hurricanes, 16-7-1 uh, in 30 games played, goals against with 283, uh, sub-900 on the uh, save percentage, but that's a big, heavy league out there, and uh, we've seen goaltenders like Carter Hart come out of there and, and be successful um, in the NHL. So th thoughts on his addition, possibly at third or five, six or seven for the Bruins. Did we miss him? Are you talking about Thompson? Yeah. That's why you came in a little open. Yeah. Uh, Brian Thompson. Yeah. The, the thing is, uh, the one thing I'm, my concern with, uh, with Thompson, uh, was that he played for a real stacked team. And so I understand that central scouting was pretty bullish on him and he's got the ideal size, 6'4", 181. Uh, but his, I mean, he, that Lethbridge team was a freaking machine. And so it's not like he had, uh, he was the busiest guy in the world. But uh, again, when you're looking at a kid who's relatively highly regarded, he played for team Canada at some of those development camps. Uh, I'd call him, uh, he's definitely more raw right now than, than uh, most I guess, uh, draft eligible goalies. I think that he's never really had that defining moment uh, where he stood out, whether it be in the postseason or, or in uh, the regular season. So uh, I didn't have him ranked, uh, you know, when I, when I was ranking my goalies, uh, I, I was thinking about it and I kind of left him off, uh, but he was, uh, you know, I guess at some point he was highly regarded and I just really don't think he's lived up to expectations just yet. 
So we'll have to see how that plays out. But uh, they're, they're, he's just not one of my favorites. So I'm not going to you know, say that uh, there are specific things he does or that I found in his game that would make me want to rank him ahead of others. Uh, I think he's definitely more of a long-term project than more so than the rest of the goalies in the class. All right, let's circle around and go back to Heather. She's got a couple of questions about the National Development Program. Yeah, um, I just was wondering how over the, I mean, you obviously are really passionate about this and very knowledgeable. So um, since the NTDP was established in 1996 and uh, the ADM was uh, put into the youth hockey levels, you know, in concordance 10 years later, uh, we produced out of their 81st round draft pitch picks and a lot of world junior medalists and all these things, uh, including Jack Hughes last year, Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane, a lot of other ones. So I was just wondering uh, with that and also just with uh, NCAA and even the USHL, like how, how do you, have you seen it impact the landscape of developing talent here and allowing American players to still kind of still rank high in the drafting orders, even amongst all this international competition? Yeah, excellent, excellent questions. Um, listen, uh, the reality is this. We've caught up to Canada. I mean, that's the bottom line. We've caught up to Canada. The USHL had more plays drafted than the OHL last year. I mean, that says something. Uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, I've been following the USHL for years. I mean, I used to subscribe to the the, 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 the newsletter. I forgot the name of it. Junior Hockey News, I think it was called, uh, way back in the early 2000s. And so when, when I go back and I read some of those issues, none of those kids ever really went on to become anything outside of NCAA players. But now you're seeing the elite of the elite. And the, the thing is that those kids that are not making the NTDP, it's such a uh, competitive camp. The multiple camps that they have uh, that they they you could almost make like a second NTDP. And that team would be just as good or competitive to, let's say, compete for a world junior medal or a U18 medal. So it says a lot about what US, USA Hockey has done. Remember that the talent pool is growing. We have programs here in Nashville. We have programs in Dallas. We have programs in Tampa. Uh, the Southeast is full of hockey-crazed fans. We got, we're getting kids dra drafted that were born and raised in Carolina. Uh, so uh, California as well. Uh, so I, I think that uh, the fact that, that we have this NTDP, it's gotten to the point now where, where Canadians are saying, well, why don't we make a Canadian NTDP to kind of show the Americans we're better than them because – you know, we've given them problems the last uh, few years, at least, uh, you know, it's kind of been even. Uh, but but still, uh, I think that uh, what USA Hockey has done uh, to create, not only create the program, but to allow these kids to come in. And, and they're not just doing it to, let's say, make money or make a name for themselves. They're really developing these kids to become NHL players. Yeah, they're going to go to college. They're going to get their degrees uh, if they stay the four years or three years. But when they come to the NHL, they're ready. And if you talk to anyone, you talk to Eichel, Wierenski, uh, Pat Kane, all of them, they all say such great things about the program. Uh, and also just the USHL kids as well. The, the mentorship that they get is fantastic. And uh, really, uh, you, you rarely see kids from the USHL or NTDP that are you know, selfish, pog-cogging, have attitudes. It just seems like they have to do a really good job of picking the right kids for these programs and it's reflecting the way that they're uh, being drafted and what they're becoming in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Um, uh, back to Dan Bladar. He played for the uh, Chicago steel in the USHL. And when I interviewed him um, in, I believe 2017 or 2018 um, at development camp, he spoke so highly of that program and that league. 
Um, I think he was trying to transition into a college career, but it didn't work out uh, being selected in 2015 in the third round. But um, he just spoke so highly of that uh, of that development um, scale. So it's definitely a, a solid tier one league moving forward. I guess uh, just more Bruins related too. I just wanted to know your thoughts on uh, John Beecher and uh, obviously he was one of our picks last year. Yes. And going into this one, I just want to see what you've thought over the last year with watching him continue. Now, he was critical. He was critical to Michigan's uh, rebound season. You know, Michigan had a, had a, you know, when you see the Michigan Wolverines not uh, produce a, a, a quality team uh, and they had some issues, uh, I think last year or two years ago, uh, they brought in Beecher. They brought in Cam York, a couple other guys. And, you know, I, I love John Beecher. I, he was a guy I had in the first round the whole entire season. Uh, and people ask me why. I'm like, you got to see the kid play. All right. He could be a little rambunctious. And he toes that line uh, between dirty and undisciplined. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, still, he was he was a top six guy. He's the guy that you kill have to kill all the penalties. He could play on the power play because he's got that tremendous shot, but also a big body. So you put him in front of the net. So uh, Michigan did a really good job. And the goalie there uh, had a lot to do with it as well. But uh, he is he is not just a checking center. I think what happened with Beecher was they saw the NTDP and they saw Beecher on the fourth line with, you know, muckers and grinders and automatically felt, well, well he's a checker. Well, look what the centers were ahead of him on the depth chart. Alex Turcotte, Trevor Zegers, <laughs> and, uh, and Jack Hughes. And those are all top 10 picks. So uh, I always felt that he had top six upside more so than Trent Frederick. And I, I was a big Frederick fan when he played at the NTDP. I always felt that um, Beecher, because of his speed, uh, th to be 6'3 or 6'4 and fly like that is very rare. So uh, I, I really don't see him staying in Michigan all that long. If he wants to stay to get his degree, okay. Uh, but uh, he's the kind of guy you want to get in Providence as soon as possible. And uh, really much to the chagrin of the rest of the AHL because he's going to mesh the people. <laughs> Matt, you got anything? I know it was all great information. I, you know, I, I really have delved into the prospects more so than I have in years past. It's funny. The Bruins don't even have a first round pick, but I feel like now talking with you and just doing the research that I'm really seeing, like Heather was saying, like the tremendous amount of talent that's coming through, especially, you know, in American hockey. And it's, it's so good to see because for years growing up as a kid, it was all about Canadian players and Russian players and, and now we're seeing such, uh, like you said, America has caught up, and it's and it's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, I want to touch on one player um, also that you probably saw uh, in Youngstown and, and in the USHL, and that's forward Curtis Hall, currently playing for Yale University. Um, had a decent freshman year, but really stepped it up in his sophomore season before the COVID uh, stopped everything. So uh, thoughts on uh, Curtis Hall moving forward? No, one of the top one of the top sophomore centers in hockey. I mean, you can't really say it any other way. And in college hockey, you, you can't say it any other way. I mean, Yale was it has been a mediocre. They're mediocre every year. They've been mediocre, I think, for the last twenty years. And um, so they rarely have uh, the kind of players that really stay, they really just they rarely have a real elite talent, I guess. And we always felt that Hall was a potential top sixty pick in his draft year, and he really took off. I mean, you got the size. You got the speed. You got the dual threat, the shooting and the, and the playmaking. He's very good on faceoffs. I think he was one of the top faceoff guys in college this year. So he's he's basically a top-line center as a sophomore. He's the guy that uh, drives that offense, 
wearing down defensemen, no matter how old they are, 21, 24, 6, 5, 6, 1. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like he's a, a tough out, a very difficult guy uh, to, to, uh, to keep in check. We saw him play at the world juniors. He did quite well there. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, the Bruins have an identity. They've always had an identity. You can't be a Boston Bruin and play in that town and be soft or be like on the periphery. And the one thing that really stands out about Hull, besides the size and the speed and the physicality that we've talked about is his vision, his playmaking, uh, that his ability to find people on the back door to go across the seam, make plays from behind the net. So I'm not saying he's going to be a 60 or 70 point forward, but uh, again, you, he checks pretty much every block that you'd want and oh, by the way, he goes to a freaking Ivy League school. So um, uh, I think that he was a great pick for the Bruins. It's always good to see your prospects progress. But he really took it to the next level. He he's like has to be considered one of the top fifty prospects in all of hockey. Uh, not just uh, uh, for the uh, you know uh, the uh, way he ranks in the Bruins or a kiss from that draft class. I think as of right now, I and mean, he's he's got to be a guy the Bruins want to get in black and gold as soon as possible. Yeah, it's kind of cool that his father played for the Providence Bruins, too, for a short time. So, uh, And he follows me on Twitter, which is even better. So <laughs> if um, if that's uh, all we got for uh, Steve, um, I think uh, we're going to end it right here, bud. Um, the I just want to say that you've been doing a fantastic job on the, the draft previews. You're doing all the teams, and it's been a great month, and, you, and you're killing it. It seems like... I'm getting uh, Apple Podcasts uh, uploads all the time, and it's awesome. It's good listening at work, passes the time. Um, but uh, what, do you, what do you got going on moving forward? And plug away anything. Well, uh, it's definitely not a non-standard draft year. So you know, the draft is in a couple of days. Um, you know, my draft report was finalized and, and went on sale about a month ago. And I appreciate you pushing it, and everyone. Uh, you know, who, who've been giving me outstanding feedback. It's only five bucks. You can find it on the draftanalyst.com. It's got 376 scanner reports and they are scanner reports. They're like about two paragraphs per player. Uh, it's seven megabyte download. You go right to my website. You click on, make a couple of clicks. It's through PayPal. Uh, and uh, you'll get, I, I, it's, it's going to help out. I would say, safe to say, at least maybe 175 of the kids drafted on Tuesday and Wednesday will be uh, detailed in my report. So uh, the other thing is the draft analyst podcast. I mean, uh, I got about three or four more teams left to do, and then it's a wrap. And then on Tuesday and Wednesday on my YouTube channel, Prospect Film Room, I'm going to be doing a live stream. So I'll, you'll be getting a pick-by-pick commentary from yours truly. Uh, I'll try not to curse. I can't guarantee <laughs> I can't guarantee that I won't curse. I won't act like a fan because I've always said that I'm a fan first, always will be. And um, I get a little bit passionate about this, sometimes too passionate but, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is definitely one of my favorite podcasts. And, uh, listen, I, I, I told you this in, uh, when we first spoke, that when growing up in Brooklyn, uh, my cable system had WSBK. So I was watching <laughs> Bruins games with Fred Cusick and Derek Sanderson. And, uh, and I, so I became a Bruins fan. And I could tell you any lineup of the Bruins from, like, probably 85 or 86 <laughs> onward. Uh, and then when I moved to Boston, all right, I wasn't as much a Bruins fan as I as it was when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, still, uh, I feel like I know a lot about the organization and you guys do such a great job covering it. And, uh, you know, I know Bruins fans. I, all my friends are Bruins fans. I got family who are Bruins fans. And uh, you guys definitely uh, are the voice of Bruins Nation. So uh, just keep up the great work. And uh, I'm always available if you guys need me. Awesome. Thank you very much, Steve. And everybody, please go to Twitter and follow him at the Draft Analyst. 
and uh, this is a, a great time to, to get on board and, uh, and tap into what Steve's uh, knowledge and what he has to say about these kids that are potentially going to be uh, NHL, NHL superstars in the future. So, Steve, thank you very much. Everybody, I thought hopefully you enjoyed this. Follow him, follow everybody, and uh, we'll be back. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, that was an unbelievable podcast. This is episode 197. We had an awesome guest with Steve Conianos lining up the draft that's going to be happening on Tuesday. So folks will have enough time to to listen to this episode and, and be prepared for what could happen on Tuesday and Wednesday. But um, I just thought it was a really good episode. Matt, thank you very much for, for your first episode as the, as the uh, you know, the, the herder of the... Uh, the uh, the <laughs> topics and so on. Uh, Heather, as always, uh, thank you for everything that you do. Um, I really thought we brought this one today, and I'm really proud. So um, we're gonna have more guests on, and uh, we're gonna just gonna try to keep knocking it out every week. So um, thoughts on the podcast and 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 our journey forward. So let's hear it. I, I thought it was I thought it was great. Steve is great. I mean, it just I, I learned so much. He, it, his knowledge is just incredible. The amount of research he's done, the amount of hockey he's watched at those levels, is outstanding. And I learned a lot, and and uh, have a different sort of perspective of what you know teams are looking for, or what you know what type of players are out there, especially the American players uh, and the the. Uh, all the strides American hockey has made. So I'm really looking forward to this draft because now I know some of the guys sort of late second round into the third round. And I've, you know, I've done that research and talked to Steve. So I'm really pleased about it. I think that was, I think it was a really good, good episode. And he brought a lot to the table. Oh yeah. I had lots of fun. Like I said, it's fun listening to him and really interesting because he's like a doctor of all the, he's like a Rolodex. He has all these just players in his head and he can go through, but he, can talk to you about it on a normal level without, you know, he, he can talk to you about stats without going crazy lingo and things like that and really help you understand. So like Matt said, now I feel when I, I love watching the draft. That doesn't mean I know who everyone is. I'll go back and look after, okay, number 12. <laughs> what was that if I didn't know them? So it was great. I'd love to pick his brain again. Hopefully he'll come back on maybe after we have a draft, you know, the draft while we're still in the off season, see kind of who we end up picking. Um, but no, great. Great podcast, gentlemen. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a great one. Uh, please uh, go and rate and review. Let's let's get back on that. We've had some good reviews uh, recently. We'll try to get caught up on them possibly next week, possibly the weekend after. I do want to start pushing the uh, the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Donate $1 per episode. And you will be eligible to be in our weekly giveaways that are starting soon. I'm thinking of the the first of November, or try to get it towards where the NHL. I want to get really find out when the NHL is actually going to start. So, and we, I'm hearing it could be June, uh, January to mid January. So, I want to do the giveaways as close to the start of the season as possible. But we might even just start on November. And go from November to November. A full year of giveaways. One every week. So I have all the stuff. We have signed pucks. We have Bruins uh, black and gold hockey merch. Um, Fanatics stuff. Hats. Um, the store next door.ca. We have stuff from them that we're going to be giving away. Uh, the Boston Pride. We have stuff from them we're going to be giving away. So it's just $1 per episode. And uh, we probably do a max of 8 we'll say. 
but more or less it's going to be between the four and eight number. So um, I want to thank all the listeners. The support has been outrageous. We have a brand new website at blackandgoldhockey.com. It's upgraded. We're getting a lot of good views. We're getting a lot of good traffic. It's unbelievable. And we have a bunch of really good writers, including my boy and the new guy here at Black and Gold, uh, <laughs> Matt Barry. So, um, yeah, check them out. Check out all the writers. We have 26 guys. We have podcast network going on. We have a lot of good things that, that are happening. So um, jump on board. But anyway... Uh, I'm just going to end it. I know I'm taking over for Matt right now because he's the lead guy. But um, I do want to say thank you to everybody, all the support and, and so on. But uh, we do have to end this episode now so I can get everything into a little two-hour program. But um, speaking for Matt, Barry, and Heather Ingerson, my, my name is Mark Oliver, founder and CEO of the Black and Gold uh, Productions Sports Media Company. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please share the show with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe to and leave a five-star rating for the show on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Between shows, help us keep the Bruins talk going by visiting our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, by sending an email to blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com and by following the show on Twitter at blackandgoldpod. Peace out.